0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Tickets for my live audience with UFC superstar Paddy the Baddy on the seventh of January in Liverpool are now available on Skiddle. Paddy will be doing his first live audience, and what a night we have planned! We have a meet and greet and photo opportunity with Paddy. You also can get to ask Paddy some questions. We've also got special guests appearing. This is going to be a night not to be missed. And what a way to start off the new year. See you all soon. Boom, we're on. Wow. And today's guest, Della Wright. How are you, Della?
0: I'm good, thanks, James.
1: First of all, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You sent me your book a couple of weeks ago. Heartbreaking read. Um, six years old, groomed, abused, raped, but very heartbreaking, very brave as well to tell your story and help many other people now and come forward and hopefully help them try and heal from their past. But first and foremost, how are you? Good. So your book's called Trapped, which we'll plug straight away. We'll leave the link in the description. I had to skip through her quite a bit. Um, I've got kids myself, so yeah. it's a it's quite tough, isn't quite
0: it? Quite dark
1: reads, yeah. but uh, very powerful as well, especially to come forward and the man who'd done this eventually got twenty two years in prison. So first and foremost, very brave of you and proud of you. Before we get into everything, I always go back to the start of my guests, where you grew up and how it all began.
0: Um so it all began in Nichols in Birmingham. Um my mum was only eighteen when she had me, so very young. Um pregnant at seventeen, so the story she tells me is that she had me so that she could get out of the care system. She got married young thinking rose tinted glasses everything's going to be perfect once she's married and stuff um, my dad was a bit of a bugger and a womaniser liked drinking um, so yeah they got together a lot younger than you know they were immature didn't have a good upbringing themselves yeah so they got together they had me and my brother um, and so very early on my earliest memories at two and a half uh, high rise block of facts in nature's and the police banging the door down. Yeah, my brother was next to me in the car. He was screaming, I remember that vividly. I remember them breaking the door down and the reason being mum had gone out to the pub. My dad was now in prison for armed robbery. So, yeah, she was on her own and she liked to go out and meet men. That's, that's from my, one of my earliest memories and up to one of my last memories of her. Um, yeah, so the police battered the door down And then it's only after reading my care files that I understand this was a regular occurrence.
1: Did you feel neglected at a very young age or were you kind of oblivious to it?
0: Um, Oblivious at that point. I was still too young. But yeah, once I got a bit older, it was quite obvious that she wasn't interested enough. So she she was on a lot of medications. I do have to say she had mental health issues and she was on medication. She drank a lot. She liked to go out and meet men, as I said. And... Yeah, so you very you have to grow up very quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. So even there's a lot of parties and stuff in your house, a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking, a lot of men, women coming in and out. Like, yeah. Was that just so normal to you? I didn't realize that the effects it can obviously have on you as a kid. But like, my family used to do all that as a kid. Like they were smoking, they drinking, like everybody partying. It was a kind of thing. But like,
0: yeah.
1: For me, it's child abuse now. Like it's with all that sort of madness around you. But back then, it was it was an okay occurrence. I'm sure I I used to get shandies at four, five, lemonade beer, and you're drinking it and everybody's laughing Laughing. and joking. This was only 30 years ago. Obviously, I'd like to think things have improved a bit, but when you were going through all that, was that just normal to see everybody coming in and out, all the drinking, all the partying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't know any different, do you? So if that's your environment, you think that's normal.
1: So as a young, innocent kid, you were six years old and this is when everything changes, this is when Terry Spence came into your life?
0: Uh, Terry Price, yeah. Terry
1: Price, and he's, he's got another name role, was it Robert McCune?
0: Yeah, and is another it? one. He's actually changed his name five times.
1: Mm-hmm. What was it like when he came into your life at the start?
0: So, my mum and dad, my dad came out of prison and we was in that whole rival block of flats and they wanted to get a fresh start again. So at that time we were very much looked after by social services, they would keep an eye on us. I had lots of injuries. I went to a Dr. Bernardo's nursery where we will get checked every morning for bruises and stuff. So at that time, it wasn't great because I kept going into care, into foster care and being given back to her like a week later. I don't understand the mentality in that. and I, I disagree with it. It should have been removed permanently. But so my dad comes out of prison and then they rekindle their relationship. One fresh start, so they apply to the housing through a house which they got literally a mile down the road, so five minutes in the car. But the problem with that was we were now under a new social services. And so as more incidents were being reported to them, they were looking at each one as a single incident rather than actually looking at the whole background and seeing what it was. So, yeah, so the moved there and my dad got a new woman. So the relationship didn't last very long. I remember my mum taking me... but My dad had taken me to meet this new woman... She was an Avon lady, so she gave me loads of stuff, and I took it back home, going, "Oh, got all this like, Avon stuff, I've never been giving us so much stuff. Then my mum realised he's got a woman, so she gets me to go and show where this woman lives, and she's got a carving knife in her pocket. She, she's going to look for my dad and this woman to whatever she's going to do. Thankfully, she didn't see them. But anyway, that relationship ended. Uh, my mum and dad broke up then. So with Terry, it was sort of like my dad went out one door, and Harry walked in the other pretty rapid, so it was like you say a party, an event, and sort of like a divorce party. Everyone there drinking, smoking, everything. But some of the people had kids, so the kids were put actually in one room upstairs on that occasion. And he took took it on himself that he would be the childminder in that instance and put himself upstairs
1: with the kids. How did he end up involved with your family? Because he was a sex case before, before yeah. he was in prison before he came into your family's life, huh?
0: Yeah, he'd already been done for attempted rape and indecent assault of children in his care home. So he was under an APAC at that time. And I think, I don't know how he got involved with my mum, I think it was friends of friends. But because he'd been through the care system, she felt sorry for him and sort of like took him under her wing.
1: How, did, how was your dad's relationship with Terry? He didn't
0: know him at all, really. So my dad left home now, and once he'd gone, he'd gone.
1: And how old was he when he came into your life?
0: Terry, uh, seventeen.
1: And you were six. Yeah. How old was your mum?
0: Uh, so she had me when she was eighteen, when I was six. So she was twenty-four, is
1: it? Does he was he grooming you straight from the get-go?
0: Yeah. He, on that very night, the first I remember that vividly in the party, it was oh, look at you, Della, you're a princess. And I love music. It was my favourite thing, music, dancing. And it would be, oh, look at you dancing, you're a great little mover. And that was the very first time I met him.
1: And how, what happened after that?
0: So he very quickly moved in. I mean, he shouldn't have been there because, like you say, he already had a record for offences and he's now in a home with young kids. Um, my mum, it was great for her now because she had a living babysitter. So she could go out whenever she wanted. Um, so he quickly became our main carer. She got; a, she was able to get a job at the local chip shop. So he, again, he was looking after us. He pretty much looked after us twenty four seven.
1: Did you? If, obviously, you're a young kid. You don't know. But was there any telltale sign straight away that something wasn't right, or were you just happy that some day was? Giving you attention, loving you, and kind of being a father figure because your dad wasn't there. Yeah. Because the abuse didn't start straight away, did it? It was kind of the grooming and telling you you were great, little yeah. princess, and all the other stuff that comes with it. Like how long after it when things started to happen?
0: So it was all actually quite quick, and because he's got a history, he's, he's adept. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So, mm-hmm. um, and he's got free reign, There's no one there. He's he would take me with him to his probation meetings again, they should have picked up on that, like, what are you doing with a six-year-old kid at probation meetings? Um, But it was that nice bit, it was being taken out, being taken out for meals, going to pet shops and things, all things I'm not done. And yeah, I was getting attention, which I've never had before.
1: So a sex offender's taking a kid to his, his meetings, like, that ain't normal. Like, why why was that allowed to happen in the first place? No idea. Like, that, for me, when I was reading that, but I couldn't get my head around that. I didn't understand it myself, like, that's red flag straight away. That should have been reported. He should have been yeah. sent back to prison. That like he should have been. There should have been things in place for him not to be near schools, not to be near kids. That. Like that's how mm-hmm. fucked up the system is. That's how corrupt it is, and that's how messy it is. And when you, but a lot of that stuff obviously going on later on. But a lot of that stuff then helped with your case, did it not? Because it was in black and white that yeah. you were telling the truth. Plus, it was the fact that it was all there to show that.
0: Yeah, what well, was I did. Going it- on. I applied for my social care records in 2014, so I wasn't aware growing up that these people actually knew, and to see it there in black and white, you just think, like, what the fuck planet were these people on? Because one of the letters from social services, um, so social services were still heavily involved coming in and out, but my mum, she basically used them if she was in financial difficulty, Um, and she was in financial difficulty again, but someone from the probation had got in touch with them. This was later, though, like in 1982, um, to say, we've got reason to believe that Terry's cohabiting with this woman. And in the letter from the social services, it says, we've gone to speak to Carol and talking about her finances again. Oh, yeah, and we saw this man fit in that description. Yeah, he was there. But she's not cooperating with us, and we don't think this is working, so we're going to run FA yet. And I just think, what the fuck? Have you just read that paragraph that says, oh, yeah, there is a convicted sex offender there, but she isn't cooperating and she keeps cancelling meetings, so we're just going to close the case? Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind. Like, I I did a talk the other day with a load of um, people that are now becoming social workers, police officers and everything. I was like, please, just remember the child in front of you. And if you ever get a letter like that from a social worker or anybody... Please concentrate on the paragraph that says there's a sex offender sitting there and not because the parents won't cooperate.
1: How let down do you feel by the system?
0: <laughs> Completely. Every single professional of every character has let me down.
1: So you tell him, was he having a relationship with your mum or anything? Or was there any telltale signs that what he was up to?
0: He may have. I don't remember them having any relationship, no, but that's not to say that they didn't, I don't know.
1: So see when he's, like, he's abusing you and raping you, like, was there never anything, no nobody ever see anything? Was there no telltale signs that there was things going wrong? Is that an innocent young girl that like, there must have been a change in yourself? Like, yeah. Was there anybody well, ever noticed anything?
0: Were, no. I they just thought I was naughty, so naughty that, so although I had no love or any affection for my mum, as far as I was aware, every time she wasn't there, something really bad was going to happen. So every time she wanted to go out, I'd be holding on to her ankles and screaming and begging her not to leave me. When she took me to school, I'd be taking my clothes off and everything, just so she'd have to stop and pick them up because I didn't want her to leave me at school. I didn't want her to leave me anywhere because when she left me, it was going to be horrible.
1: Sad, that man. That's but they just looked at me like I was naughty. Scream out for help for an innocent yeah. kid. So what age was it when Terry raped you?
0: Six. Fuck
1: hell.
0: <laughs> So it was really quick because we moved in when we were six and so it was, I don't know exactly the date because it was my nan's. So I had a great nan who I loved to pieces and it was her funeral and they wouldn't let me go because I said I was too young. And so he was like, oh, so I'll look after her. Of course he would. Um, and that was the very first day that he arrived me me. How old
1: were you, six? Six. How long did that last for?
0: What do you mean how long did he continue raping? Right? No, yeah, like that. It, like yeah. If... up until he left in 1991. so that would have been noin- February 1980, and so up until 1981,
1: over a year. Yeah, it's so sad, man, to hear that and think that goes on. Look, my daughter's in the next room, like, yeah, even anybody kind of. I've had an undercover. Paedophilo and he went undercover for 20 years to, it's one of the world's darkest jobs to help catch people and the things that he was saying, how people operate. They don't just groom the kids, they groom the parents first. Yeah. To get in with the kids. Like, this is a sixth society we're in with, social media, TikTok, Snapchat, like, the things that people can get to, like, if these guys want their fix, or women want their fix with kids, they'll get it, no matter what way, and they'll do anything to get it. See, when you were going through that ordeal, like, as a kid, like, can you remember, That or do you try and block all that out and it feels like a nightmare?
0: You try and block it out and that's what I did for a long time so I managed to push it down but it came out much later in life at one of the worst possible times when I was giving birth so you don't realise you don't get told that as women as well that you can try and push the trauma as much as you can but so for my last two births I was induced and I think that's where what kicked it off isn't that I had no control or power. They took all the power from me. They were controlling the contractions and everything. And so you go into yourself and I started having flashbacks while I was giving birth. And even after I'd given birth it probably thirty minutes, forty minutes after, no one notices that you're just not there still.
1: So this guy's in your life for over a year that he's abusing you, he raped you, he's the raped you as well, like, he's done some horrific things and you're only a six year old kid like, it's sad to think that nobody seen anything, nobody was looking for anything, was people just, was this guy just such a manipulator that everybody thought he was a nice guy? Or mm. well, was there telltale signs that it was
0: There was definitely telltale signs the way I was acting my mum would find my pants down the back of the sofa and stuff like that and I would get into trouble for it. So when they started annually raping me, it's awful, but I would have poo in my pants. And I'd be absolutely terrified that I'm going to get in trouble again for having my pants on the sofa. So I would have to go and wash them in the sink myself. And, I, you know, there's all these things going on. Who, who's not noticing that a six-year-old kid is in the bathroom while washing poo out the pants?
1: When did it come to an end with him? Did he not go to prison? Did he not kill someone? He
0: did. And that's the reason that he left our home. It's not because anybody intervened or any professional took an interest. He murdered someone. He stabbed him 47 times, which is horrific.
1: Did he ever threaten you? Because in the book, it was was always trying to be nice. There was never any violence towards you. Was you ever beaten or anything? Well,
0: that's when it changed. So up until the actual rapes, he was lovely. And he even... The he made it nice, as in you were being comforted, lying on the sofa together and have a snuggle and watch Top of the Pops, which was my favourite thing, and dance. You know, you love dancing, or watch you dance. And I did, like, a teddy boy skirt, teddy girl skirt, and it'd be like, oh, spin round and start stripping off, and he'd do the same. So it all felt normal again, because you've got no reference have you you know if you're in that environment and some adult who you trust is telling you to do these things you do them. so that you know he won me over that way I just thought it was all normal and I actually craved that attention I didn't have my dad or anything so getting the attention was nice then but when the rapes started especially the anal rapes that's when he would be vicious and nasty
1: did you ever try and tell anyone
0: I didn't know how to tell anyone I didn't know what was happening So, my way of telling people was grabbing hold of my mum's ankles and screaming and begging her not to go because I didn't know what it was, what was happening. I just knew it was nasty and I didn't like it.
1: So, he ended up coming out of your life because he killed someone? Yeah. How did that happen?
0: I don't, I can't remember exactly, but he was convicted of manslaughter. He got given three years, but he only served a year and a half. For murder? For murder, yeah.
1: This is the thing all these nonsense and sex cases are all protected. Like Crazy. they get lesser sentences, and everybody I know that like they're all protected in prison. They should be let in with the normal. That like, like any any prisoner that should be a free for all. They shouldn't be protected. How can you be protected abusing kids? How can you be protected if you're raping kids and killing kids? Like for me, you should get what's coming to you. Yeah. For me, like they should bring back hanging. Like they, they genuinely should because they say there's no way they can change the mind. If you've got those tendencies, they can't change the mindset. So for me, it's. I know in America they uh, castrate them, but for me, man, if you're doing those crimes, if you're willing to hurt a kid, you sh- you should have the death penalty. You should have your head chopped off. You yeah. should be that's the only way to keep kids safe. But even the thing with Balenciaga is the now I've well, seen that. on the news that yeah. promoting paedophilia, promoting bondage and kids that the sex cases that there's that even you get into as dark as Hollywood. Like the things that go on is is unbelievable, man. Like. And, it, and it's right in front of your face. And people are buying into it. And we want to talk about Will Smith slapping people at the Oscars. We want to talk about yeah. all the other shit that kind of deflects away from what's actually really happening in life and the important thing, child trafficking, like, everything that goes on. Like There's so much shit, darkness goes on in this world that's swept under the carpet. Like, when you start seeing all this, like, the stuff that Blaine said, does that trigger a lot of things in your mind to this day?
0: It's the same thing as that social worker's letter again. Like, the mind... Bit is there, but everyone else wants to focus on all this bit rather than yeah the actual real reality of what's going on. I think it's just too difficult for people to look at, isn't it?
1: So, see when you go to prison, when he goes to prison, was your did was your life so messed up then as a kid, or were you just try to get back into a normal life because you're what seven, eight years old? Like, like how did you then go on with life when he was in prison?
0: So, my mum would take us to see him in prison. It's not like he's gone from your life. We still went to see him, um, so when he did get back out again, I was I was about nine when he got out. He F- like you say, trying to get on with life and everything, and I just remember coming home from school one day. I opened the front door and he was standing there. I uh, I just refused to go in the house. So I screamed. It was absolutely chucking it down. there was thunder and lightning and everything. But I ran over to the park. I was like, I'm not going in there with you in there, and I thought, you know, my mom would come looking for me. But she didn't, he did, and uh, and I was actually really scared then because I know that there was a good side of him and a bad side of him. And I thought, I'm gonna, you know, you don't know which one you're going to get. So me speaking up and saying, look, I'm not going back in while you're there, and he was <clears throat> asking why, and I said, because I don't want them things to happen again. And the mad thing about that situation is he said, OK, come on, come back in the house. So we'll go back in the house. And he never physically touched me again. But it's not you know, that from that day but then that makes me think it's my fault as in, why well, didn't I just say that earlier then? They they're very clever at manipulating you to feel like it's your fault that these things have because all you have to do, Della, was say, don't wanna do that. So then you carry that guilt then from being a kid to it must be my my fault but but so he was still in our lives from then. So the probation actually did write to social services and they say, look, this man's just come out from stabbing someone 47 times. He shouldn't be in home with kids. And we're going to go and talk to the mum and say, Does it, are our kids OK? And we'll tell her Terry's background and to check that the kids haven't been, you know, Della hasn't been sexually abused. And I just think, you're three years too late, mate. <laughs> that mm-hmm. happened, that's been going on for the past you know, since he first came here, we're talking about 1982 now.
1: When did he eventually go out of your life for good? So
0: then the probation did move him to a probation host- hostel. They mm-hmm. spoke to my mum, so whether she knew about it before when she was ignoring it, I don't know, but by now, she definitely knows. And it doesn't stop her taking us to go and stay overnight at his probation host- hostel. And again, no one in that hostel thinks there's anything wrong with it.
1: So your mum's taking you yeah. to a sex offenders hostel, hostel a guy who's Raping you, who's been in prison for murder, but your mum's still taking you to see him. Like, what was your mum's mind mindset like, like to be even, like, even the murder? You keep your kids back from him, it's a yeah. fucking serious charge, never mind. All, did your mum know all the others?
0: She must have by then.
1: That's sad, man. It's heartbreaking to think that. Was it still when you were going back to his hostel after that, was there nobody seen anything? Like Any social workers, any parole officers? Nothing there to stop it?
0: No. But again, like he had stopped abusing me by this point. He got a girlfriends then. Um, But, you know, in your mind you just think you don't know when it's going to happen again. Just because he says it's he's not going to, you don't know. So you're always uh, alert and on guard and still trying to be really nice to him to get the nice terry. But at that time, he had a girlfriend. She was pregnant, and my last memory of seeing him was social services helping him set up a home, a nursery, and a, a masonette ready for this baby coming. Yeah, it's
1: scary to think what would happen when the baby came. Do you know what I mean? Like, see, when you, when did he? When did you? When was the last time you ever seen him?
0: So that would be about 1984, and the only reason for that was because mom had got rekindled a relationship she had with someone in Colwyn Bay in North Wales so we were all cutted off there for three months because this was going to be the next best relationship she's ever had but actually that was the best time I ever had as a kid because for three months we were in Colwyn Bay living by the seaside the man was actually one of the nicest people we ever met his family were lovely and I wish we'd have stayed there because life could probably could have been good from that but she lasted three months and brought us back to Birmingham.
1: When did you realise that what was actually going on, like you say, as a kid you don't know because you've never seen that things, you've never done any of that things, it's all oblivious to you, yeah. but what age were you when you realised, wait a minute, like, I've been getting raped here, or, I've been getting abused, Like, did, what age did it sink in?
0: So when we came back from Wales, um, so I'd already been abused by a family member at this point, but I didn't realise what that was either. And again, that was around the same time as my dad left, so this was all going on. Um, And so when we came back from Wales, this family member had had someone complaining about him to the police, and so the police came to visit us. And so I'm 12, this other girl's 12, that put the complaint in. And the police come, and because this girl's in care, the way the police frame it is, oh, she's a bit of a a tartler, isn't she, and she's... She's flirting and she's, you know, the police were talking about her as if it was all her fault and she'd led this person on. So I'm thinking, I ain't going up, I ain't saying anything. The way they're talking about her, I ain't having them talk about me like that. And my mind's going, so what, those things that happened were definitely one because the police were involved now. But at the same time, I'm shutting my mouth and not saying anything. Who's
1: that? Who's the family member that? Of- started abusing you was that your stepdad or something or was that
0: no that was later I had that as well
1: so it's been non-stop darkness every man that's come into your life there's never been any protection there's never been any love like who was the the first family member
0: so it was one of my mum's brothers
1: your uncle
0: yeah
1: sick fuck man like how long did that last
0: it was just one incident
1: so see when you're going through that life then how do you then build any sort of trust with any man you still struggle with that now?
0: Yeah, I do, but on the flip side of that, it's more all my boundaries have been smashed. Mm-hmm. So, if someone can be lovely to you, then an absolute bastard, and then be lovely again, and you'll do what you can to get the lovely bit. So, you stay in relationships way longer than you should do.
1: Yeah, narcissistic stuff, like yeah.
0: The... you get love bombed. Yeah, and
1: then... what's this with the bank robbers in Sweden? The... When they took them hostage, they were loving them, saying, giving them food, taking them away, being nasty. And then, but the the hostages fell in love with them. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So every other relationship, that's all been disaster. Even when you were twelve, thirteen in the book, were you not with someone who was, 19? When I was 13, Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel you feel pregnant with them?
0: When I was fourteen, yeah.
1: But again, people were accepting. Yeah. It wasn't people back then. It was, it wasn't as bad as it is now, which is a, a good thing. But back then, like 13, 14, with somebody at 19, people kind of just turned to a blind eye, did, did they not?
0: They did, absolutely. And so, yeah, I got pregnant. Um, and I got six to eight weeks, started having real bad pains. Had to be taken to hospital, and it turns out I had an ectopic pregnancy.
1: You felt pregnant again at 15? Yeah. And that was with a different man, He who again was older? Yeah. So, again, like, with the family, your mum and that liked him as well, did they not?
0: Yeah. I mean, with the first one, he was openly violent, even in front of my mum. What? Openly. He would hold, hold me up the wall by my neck, throw me downstairs. I was covered from head to foot in bruises. Um, And the one day she was there and she saw him doing this, but all he had to say was, your mum's fit, I'd do her. And she was like, she focused, oh, my God, this man might, fancy me, rather than he's just battered your daughter.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of neglect to her as well, for your mum and not a Yeah. Like you say, she struggles with her mental health, it's not trying here to shut her down as well but it's it's still sad to think that. She
0: was trying to find love in her life, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. But she was looking in all the wrong places.
1: Do you think that was yourself as well as you started getting older? Um, looking for that father figure, that love to kind of try and take away your pain but they seem to have enhanced yeah. that. So, did you have your first kid at 15?
0: So, yeah, so I got pregnant again at 15. Had That's my oldest daughter now, yeah. um, And so I was with her dad. So I then I had Laura, then I had James when I was 18, um, with him for 11 years. And again, he was violent. He was a womanizer. He would openly flirt in front of me. And, you know, I had literally no self-esteem. Even
1: when you were at school as well, did teacher not abuse you or take photos of you as well
0: in junior school yeah like, it's just like everybody you like all the men around you it doesn't matter whether they're professionals whether they're family
1: it's heartbreaking to see isn't it? to think but do you think potentially maybe not as extreme as you went through in life but do you think that's ha- this happens to a lot of girls where so much badness happens to them they just kind of block it out and forget like, like I say it takes a lot of bravery to come forward and speak about it I'd imagine it'd be tiring like and as we spoke in the car and I said, Do you ever feel like, do you ever get bursts of like, happiness or do you ever feel happy? But it's hard if you've been through so much trauma, so much darkness, so much pain to then see the mm. world in a good place. Like, how do you think this can happen to a lot of people where yeah. they don't, they're maybe too scared to come forward?
0: Yeah, uh, without a doubt, because I didn't start talking to it, to it about it until 2007, from, you know, it's a couple of decades and for men apparently it takes a lot longer so yeah people do try and push it down and some people never talk about it ever and they take it to the grave of them
1: yeah this is the thing like you say a lot of men sh- it happens to a lot of men as well and it takes them longer because they would rather just put it to the side like see with the, with the school teacher who was that is he still alive
0: I don't know but he was he loved to take pictures of kids and he would get me to pose for him and, you know like he'd take General pictures of all of us. He takes us out on field trips and stuff. He even took us to his house once, um, and he would send me stuff through the post. Like he, I was collecting stamps and stuff, so he would he had my home address. He would send me stamps through to the home. He'd take these pictures, and it'd be like posing, you know, your hand behind your head and looking over your shoulder and stuff. Like I was in my last year at junior school, so I was ten, eleven. You don't get kids to pose like that, do you? It's just
1: fucking scary. You think, but. So many teachers, so many nursery teachers. That had a a young girl who was in Essex there, she served 12 years, listen, for a bad crime as well. But she beat up the woman who was working in the nursery who was abusing nine year old kids. I saw a clip
0: of that. And was that what's her name? That nursery worker. I'm sure she's one of the ones that's changed the name. She's changed it twice now.
1: So, see, when you're going through your life and, and all these dark relationships and being abused your whole life, like. Was there ever any happy moments after your kid's born? Was there any other men that came into your life where they were nice to you and gave you some hope? Or did you always be sceptical that they could be manipulating you?
0: There was only ever one, um, and that was someone from Manchester. So I used to work in a call centre and I met him over the phone. And I think that relationship worked because he didn't live close to me and I could keep separating my family and see him at weekends when the kids went to the dad's. And so that worked for me, but, and he was nice, he was never manipulative or anything like that. But it was just never going to work, it was was too far away and stuff. But I don't think, I've never had a decent relationship, no. In
1: 2007 was the first time you spoke about it? Yeah. What gave you the strength to do that?
0: So after I'd had my last baby and, um, so I had my son in 2004, I was induced for that, and I had flashbacks. It was horrendous. But after I went home, I could shut it off again. It was absolutely fine. When I had my daughter in two thousand and six, was it two thousand and six or two thousand and seven? Two thousand six. <laughs> you also just had two thousand and four. your son. He was born in two thousand and two. Yeah. yeah. So I had Charlie in two thousand and two. Um, I was induced for that one, but. And I had flashbacks, it was horrendous. But when I got home, I put it all away. And then I had early in 2006. That time, I couldn't shut off the, the memories that were coming back. They were so powerful. All I'm giving birth, all I'm being told is, you're a little whore, you're a slag, you deserve this and everything. And I thought, it's OK, when I get home, we'll all be put to bed again. It was just like the ground had opened up this time and everything was coming back and I'd constantly have nightmares flashbacks body pains like I've never experienced before thinking something really wrong with me but it's not it's your body remembering going through those wipes and so I had Ellie in the July June sorry by the time I came to Christmas I was suicidal I thought I can't do this um so I had to go for counselling so I went for counselling and then that's how in 2007 they said to me as part of the counselling do you want to go to the police and I thought, it's, not, it's something I've never thought about before, but if you're going to be there with me, yeah, we'll do it. So on the day, they'd arranged it and everything. On the day, it turns out that this counsellor wasn't available, which is do you want to carry on? And I thought, I'm, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm ready for it now. <clears throat> so, yeah, on the day, I'm on my own and two police officers turn up. So, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to tell them everything I want to tell them because I've got no support and it's two male officers. So, I'll give them the bare minimum stuff and to say, oh, because it happened in West Midlands anyway, good. we're going to have to pass it over. I chased them up about a month later, still hadn't heard from West Midlands police. And then I, I didn't contact them again. They didn't contact me. That was it. No one got in touch.
1: What were you thinking then?
0: No one cares. Mm-hmm. No one cares. And it was like when I went to school, so I'd had the topic pregnancy, I was at a Catholic school. And if you wanted to talk to anybody, it was a priest you had to talk to. And I remember going back to school after having a miscarriage um, and saying, you know, breaking down in class, like I'm in bits. So they sent me to see one of the priests and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to tell him everything now. So I told him about being abused, told him about being raped, told him about losing the baby and I hope I'm not coping. And he told me that I was disgusting for speaking about such awful things. And I should shut my mouth and never speak about it again.
1: He's probably a sex case, man. Probably. Do you know what probably I mean? Like, dirty old man. Like, yeah. As a kid, like, we should be protecting kids of their future, man. And It's just hard to hear like, all the scream-outs for help. And I was talking about Barbara O'Hare who was in the uh, re- released about the hospital. signed he sent her off as crazy. Yeah. Nobody believed her. She was a fantasist and it just came to light ten years ago, fifteen years ago. So she was telling the truth, man. Doctors were experimenting on the kids, using MK Ultra, killing the kids, raping the kids, like kids as young as three and four. Like there's sick individuals out there, man, where it's satanic shit, like whatever it is, like, that it's, it's it's wrong in, in many levels. And this goes not from this this goes people from right to the top, man. Like yeah. the higher up people. Like. It's sad that like, when did people, when did things start moving forward where you thought, okay, I'm not going to quit here? Because if you're telling your story again, 2007, if you've spoke to a priest and they've kind of knocked you back and yeah. don't open your mouth, keep everything shut, like, when do you lose hope? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or where, where did you get the strength to keep going?
0: So after that counselling in 2007, and I thought, I've reported to the police... <clears throat> <clears throat> there's nothing else I can do now I've done everything in my power giving it to the people that should do something with it and they're not bothered so I'm just gonna have to try and build a life so I went to uni to Warwick uni um and I did a health and social policy course which was like sociology and um psychology the law and things like that and so I started to think you know I can build a life for myself get a career look after you know Oh, look after my kids, don't need a man. Got to my third year and you just... It's constantly... you like snakes and Did you get so far up and you're back down again. You get so far up or a life built on quicksand, you get so far and everything just goes again. And so I'm trying to juggle two kids by myself, going to uni. It was all just too much and ends up get, feeling depressed and you don't realise your whole life you've had PTSD. And, you know, so... It just got too much, and I had to give that up then. So I took time out of it and thought, what else can I do? So I started working with ex-offenders that had just been released from prison, like volunteering to help them, get them resettled. I always said to them, don't ever give me a sex offender because I'm not working with them. So I actually enjoyed doing those things, and I thought, well... Do you know what? The people that I went to for counselling were amazing. So I'm going to go back to them, which is Rosa and Rugby. And see if I can train with them and I can work with people that have been through exactly what I have. And so I trained with them to be a counselling support worker. Absolutely loved it, but I didn't realise, I didn't know what was happening. And a lot of words I'd never heard about before. So I didn't know that about PTSD, I thought it was just soldiers that got that. I didn't know about somatic um, memories, like, so body memories. I didn't know what was going on with those. There's whole new words coming out about and training. So as I started to see people, I'd start getting real bad pains, like bent over pains, when I was had to go and do my sessions with them. And I'm realising, you know what you're doing, daily, You re-traumatising really yourself every time you go in there, listening to other people's stories. So I had to Yeah, I was so I was doing that. I'd also enrolled on the counselling course because I was going to train to be a full-time counsellor. At the same time, I thought, you know, I'm in a real strong position here. I've got my life sorted. I know where I'm going now. I'm going to go back to the police again because all that had come out with Savile and people are talking more openly now about abuse and that stuff. So, yeah, so I thought I'd go back and I'll report again. So we did. And it was actually a really, really good, positive experience this time. It was a woman officer. She listened. She believed me. She did the video evidence and she said, this is so important, Della. I'm going to take it to Aston this afternoon and tell them what's going on. And I thought, finally, like, it's the first time ever that someone's actually believed me and listened and acknowledged how important it is. So I thought, well, everything's going to go off now. It's going to, We're going to get somewhere. Another three months, nothing. So I had to contact them again. And it's West Midlands Police every time. They're just so slow with these things. So eventually the officer from West Midlands Police gets in touch and so we arrange to do another um, Achieving Best Evidence thing. And she says to me, she goes, oh yeah, we know who Terry Price is, but that's not his name now, he's called Robert McEwen.' And I, I didn't even think that was a thing, I've never heard of that before and I thought, you know, that's funny that is, because sometimes you try and... Do you know like you've got things like Friends Reunited and Facebook and everything I tried to find him because I thought I want to know what his life is like now and if he's got a family and I could never find him I had no reports to him or anything and that, that's probably why because he's changed his name so that was the first time I'd ever heard of them changing the name and I said to her what, has he gone on and had relationships and so has he got kids and she thought I can't tell you any of that so that was the first instance I've heard of them changing the names and then so that's 2015 it takes to January 2017 for them to charge him because he plays a mental health card all the time and he's in and out of mental hospitals so he was saying he was not fit to plead at this time so they just had to wait it out and eventually they were able to charge him so that's January 2017 so in April he goes to magistrate court And this is something I never explained to you, that it has to go to Magistrate first and then it'll be up to the Crown Court. So I'm I'm waiting, I couldn't sleep the night before because it's it's such a build-up waiting, like, two years for this, nearly. Couldn't sleep, pacing the room and everything, waiting for the uh, witness care to get back to me. When the phone winner said, oh, it didn't go ahead today, I'm like, I don't know this system, what do you mean? It didn't go ahead today. Oh, we have not been able to do it because he's changed his name. Are you are you actually fucking kidding me? Like, what do you mean he's changed his name? Oh, he's Mr. Mac now, so he can't enter a plea. He can't because the paperwork's not in his name. So you're letting a sex offender take control of the whole show here. He's laughing at you. He's, he's making a mockery of the justice system. He's wasting taxpayers' money. And now you're letting him have control over me again.
1: Did you feel that?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What was it like when you found out you get charged 30-odd years later?
0: <sighs> that was amazing because I didn't think I would ever get that day. But they phone me. I was in hospital uh, waiting to have some tests. And the phone. Yeah, They don't ask, you know, are you all right to take this call or anything? You're in, in the waiting room trying to listen. Or they're telling you such important information. They don't... I think... Once you're in the system you're just you know you're just part of it. You like this is about you and your life and I think they really should understand the effects on the survivor, but you're just part of the system, they don't care.
1: Did you see him in court? Yeah. What was that like for the first time seeing him in years, the guy who raped you at six years old?
0: But I'm sorry I have to laugh at this bit because what's it like seeing him when they allowed him to wear a big black curly wig. I mean, what the fuck?
1: Why?
0: <laughs> so he, I was going to have screens in the court, as you can do, but they said he's not here, he's not physically he's going to be on the monitor on the TV. And I was like, oh, well, that's sound then, I don't need to have the, the screens or anything, I'll just stand in the witness box. So he's there on the big massive telly in front of me and it's like a clown wig, a big black curly clown wig. And I'm just thinking are you having me on? Yeah, like, this is a court and they're allowing you to do that. And he did it so that I wouldn't recognise him. But why are they allowed to do shit like that? So that was the first time I saw him and I I literally had to laugh. I thought, like, the, why are the courts doing this? Because so the, they got me on at the very end of the first day and that's what I saw of him. But the next day, anyway, it carried on as normally. He took his wig off and everything. But then,
1: did it bring back a lot of emotion, a lot of hate, a lot of rage seeing him again for the first time?
0: Yeah, it did. And now, even now, I've still got his image in my head now. So everywhere I go. So I couldn't travel by myself. I have to have someone travelling with me because you just see him everywhere.
1: So, when? how long did the court case last?
0: So it lasted for four days.
1: How hard is it to get a conviction with something really? so old, a six-year-old, like yeah. no DNA, no, how do you get a conviction from something like that?
0: It's really difficult because it's your word against theirs. But like you say, I had the evidence in black and white that he was seen as um, things in my medical records that showed, um, so yeah. And also, so now they can bring bad character references in. So the, his barrister was trying to say, "No, we're not going to go down that route." But we managed to argue that, and the police were able to bring in his bad character.
1: What about his previous convictions? You can't use that in no. a, a court case. But what other previous did he have?
0: So he was actually at that time currently in prison because of ab- abusing a girl.
1: What. <sighs> After the four days, what are you thinking? Are you thinking I'm gonna get a result here, or are you thinking Just he's gonna win his case? Like and then people then make you out a liar, fantasist, whatever it is, the same as Barbara, that like, mm-hmm. then your life is completely in turmoil as if you've made it all up in your head. Like must all the emotion that must have been happening, like after the four days when you eventually got a conviction, like what are you thinking when you got a guilty?
0: Just wow. Like, I was looking at the jury and they were looking at me and going, don't worry, don't worry. These two women on the jury kept looking. And I thought, just don't take that. It's lovely that they're doing that, but you can't take it to heart because you don't know what the rest of them are thinking. But, yeah, as each charge was read out and it was guilty, guilty, guilty. Like, I was just holding my dad's hand and we were just crying our eyes out. But they tell you not to do that because they don't need to sway the jury. But I think it's over now. I think I can show a bit of emotion now, can't I? Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah, your dad played a big part of that case because he sat by your side, like yeah. as a father, like to hear that and hear the stories and imagine you broke had, him. It must have been the end of him, like, for to see his daughter, like him being in prison. He he would have blamed himself, and that must be a hard thing as a father. But mm. again, you were neglected as well. You were put to the side. You were. Like, just basically living on your own at six with a predator. But when your father's sitting at court and going through, that, right, how old was your dad? So
0: he was 60, 63.
1: And how hard was that for him? Did he ever say sorry?
0: Yeah. That's the thing with my dad, we did. We reconciled and he, you could see, he was heartbroken and he was so sorry. And that's why he came to court every day and he held my hand and he was like, we'll go through this together.
1: What about your mum at this time?
0: I hadn't spoken to her for a long, long time. She'd, she won the lottery. She moved to, to Turkey. Apparently she ended up with the Turkish mafia and all this stuff. She just told the Tully stories. Apparently she'd had twins while she was out there and everything. And it just got to a point, do you know what, I can't have nothing to do with you because you're emotionally abusive and I don't know whether, um, what's right and what's wrong with you because you lie all the time. So the first time I saw her was when she was on the stand in the trial.
1: See when but your mum when she stood when she was on trial to give evidence, she gave evidence against you? Yeah. Did she not say that you were the one instigating it? Yeah. A six year old? Yeah. But <laughs> like, that's sad. Like as a mother that like, that tells you how fucked up her head was. Yeah. If I'm honest, like no disrespect, but I can only speak it from what I see it and that's not right, man. Like how can you say a six year old is instigating to get raped, to get abused, like why was she doing that? Not maybe take any guilt or blame? There's no excuse why no, she done it, but she what? did
0: it so that you know, to deflect from herself.
1: Did she ever speak to you after it?
0: No, I've never speak to her again.
1: She's still alive? No. So there was never any sorry, never any? No. To be honest, man, that's a hard thing to pull away from any parent, but if they're not feeding your soul, if they're not enhancing your, your vibration or making you feel protected then Fuck them yeah.
0: off, isn't it? I'm a mum myself with four kids and it, that makes you reflect and look back and realise how fucked up your life was.
1: So what was that feeling when she stood in the dock and gave evidence to say that a six-year-old was instigating to be raped?
0: By that time, I already knew what she was and what she was about, so when she did it, it just confirms to me what that I did the right thing, having nothing to do with you.
1: Because because you've been manipulated and groomed your whole life, like you'd probably always want that love and probably always want went back, yeah. like, to then get that closure and go wait a minute nah mm-hmm. you're the you're the bad person like, how can you let any kid be around people, of that nature and you know what they're about do you know what I mean that like, yeah. so when they go the guilty did because it's that's a big sentence, yeah for twenty two years ago like that's a a big sentence that's the sentence as it should be hand out if I'm honest, but when he gets 22 years, what are you thinking?
0: I'm thinking I'm really lucky because people don't get those sentences. You're absolutely right, excuse me. Um, Yeah, you shouldn't have to put lucky and I've gone through all that in the same sentence, but I know how lucky I am because people just don't get those. So, yeah, but then I'm thinking, hang on a minute, yeah, I've been through all this and he's got this sentence. But now we need to start looking at this, what he's doing about his name. But like, who else is doing this? Why are they allowed to do it? Are they allowed to get new relationships? Are they allowed to go and work with kids? What's going on?
1: So, see, let's talk about the name changing because we've got Sarah's law, we've got mm-hmm. Della's law, is that correct? Is this a new law?
0: The, Della's law is the one that I'm pushing right, for
1: now. And we've also, what's, is it Deadpool or Deadpool? What, what is that? Deadpool. So Deadpool is, what is that? People are changing their names. Because we, like us. it says in the car, Peter Tobin here. He'd, he'd murdered the innocent Polish girl, but he'd done many murders before that, changed his name, came to Scotland to work. Worked in the chapel. But then the priest, he was having sex with that young girl. He was buying her laptops and he was getting prostitutes to the uh, the chapel. That, so much fuckery goes on, man, with these people. But he, he changed his name. So it's kind of a new identity like, how easy it is for sex offenders to change their name
0: too easy how so, you, so so you can even go through the Royal Courts of Justice and it costs £45 and it will be um, in a newspaper and it will have your old name new name address and everything not many people are going to do that that would be something that a solicitor would advise like when you have a marriage breakdown or whatever then you've got the depot which you do online it's £15 you print it off sign it get a witness to sign it that changes name. But even worse than that, me and you here now could sit here and write on a piece of paper. I'm now gonna be known by such and such. We could both sign it and that's all you need.
1: And what happens when they go for jobs and stuff?
0: So once you've you've done this, change your name, Mm -hmm. this piece of paper you can use to get a new passport, a new driving licence, bank cards, everything in your new name. So when you now go for a DBS check, People don't realise a DBS check is just a ticking box exercise, and we think we've got a really robust safeguarding in this country. So, employers and everything think, you know, so teachers being uh, working in schools, scouts, anything to do with children or young or vulnerable people, they'll do a DBS and they'll do an enhanced DBS in that circumstance, but they don't. And in good faith, they're thinking. They're doing the best, and they've actually been let down by the government. So they'll, the person doing the filling the DBS thing out, it will say, "Have you been known by any other name?" I mean you will say yes if we have, and we'll supply the information. But if you tick no, that's it. No one checks to see whether you've changed your name. No one does anything with that information. So if you've been convicted in one name, you've now changed your name and put on that thing, this is your new name, and now you've got all your evidence, you've got your passport, you've got your driving licence and your new name. You've completely cut yourself off from that past name. Then. So when you go and check, no, you've never been known by any other name. You're getting a clean DBS check.
1: So people can just go under the radar straight away. What's the best check to get for people?
0: That is all we've got at the moment. Is that
1: an acro you can get as well? Like an enhanced check for people but it just tells you a list of convictions. But
0: not if they've got a new name. There's no connection to their new name and their old name.
1: So if they change their name, then there's no, no connection whatsoever. So anybody could be working in schools, working in nurseries, yeah. working as a priest. That, that's sad. Man, that's mad to think then, that people can just fly under the radar, do a check, you think, ah, he's safe. Yeah. And then...
0: And you know, you tell you about Claire's Law and service law. Yeah. So people can put... Uh, applications into the police, but it's only as good as the name of what they're giving them. So again, if that person changes their name and you put it in, it's not linking to that person. So again, full sense of security. You you could get him in like a relationship with a person. Think, oh, you know, people don't do that. Do they? They don't check their new partners out. Believe mm-hmm. there were two declares or nothing.
1: I think in this day and age, man, it's a good thing. People might it, think yeah. they're crazy or controlling, but with the stories that I've heard, yeah. if anybody, a girl comes into my life, I'm, I'm fucking get that get checked. checked. <laughs> to not, you can get me checked, whatever, but yeah. it's just safer. Yeah. Especially, I've got kids, yeah. and with the woman that's been on and telling their heartbreaking stories, with not that woman working in a nursery and abusing nine-year-olds, like, it's not just yeah. men. Like, we need to get things straight as well. It's not just men, this is women also. Like, yeah. The world is in a,
0: that was her name. Her name was Vanessa George and she's changed the name twice already now.
1: Is that how she got the job in the nursery?
0: I don't know if that's, no. If she's done anything previous? I don't know if she's done anything previously but since she's been let out she's definitely changed her name twice.
1: So Della's Law, let's talk about this. This is something you're trying to work on. Like, yep. What's this?
0: So it is to stop convicted sex offenders being able to change the name, like completely. I think once I've, you know, I'm a, I believe in human rights and all that But there comes a point where if you're a convicted sex offender, there's certain rights you've got to forgo.
1: Why do you think they're protected so much?
0: There is so many people in the system, isn't there? Like how many police officers are getting done for it? How many judges, you know, it's a male dominated society and there are these people in high places.
1: The same one in every thirties get pedophile tendencies. It's one in every street.
0: Yeah. Every family's got them, whether you want to believe it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Every football team, well, yeah. that's everywhere.
0: Again, the, the football team, you know, there was that big story about Barry Bernal. He changed his name.
1: It's scary to think, man. A lot of people that, people don't like polygraph tests, this and that, but if you can get a, a rough idea, people take a polygraph test before they work with kids and just people say people can pass it, but it does give you a rough idea that in the 90% whether they're telling the truth or not, that why not? just do it anyway it's better being safe than sorry but if they feel that test then listen you ain't, you ain't the right to work mm-hmm. with kids but it would
0: be all down to money they'd be like that's too expensive this is the issue we've got right now because mm-hmm. um, Sarah Champion has been working with us so I'm an ambassador for the safeguarding alliance mm-hmm. and when I'd been through that trial I started researching it and I found this other a petition because I'd put a petition out and I found them that they mm-hmm. had pretty much exactly the same petition so I got in touch with Emily from the Safeguard Alliance and they'd been um, campaigning for the past year before me, but they were doing it from a statistical and in research. Um, so we joined forces, so while I had my lived experience. she's doing it from a research perspective. joined forces and we suddenly started getting media attention and did a report with Sky News. People are actually starting to listen. Um, and that eventually led to a petition but you think a petition like that, you would get, you would have no trouble getting a hundred thousand signatures. It was a hard slog. and I mean, we ended up with thirty-seven thousand, and again, it like you say, you know, people in high places shutting it down. It was getting reported as a hate crime. Facebook was reporting it as spam. People, there was on the on, I don't know what website it was, but we were getting reports that people were flagging up the petition and getting people to mass report it because they didn't want it to happen.
1: So, it's Yeah. How do people get involved to help you with this for people that's watching?
0: Um so at the moment we've managed to get um the government to do a review into this and look into all the different things like the DBS, passport, driving licenses. And the, I thought we finally got somewhere, you know. This was June last year and they had twelve months to come back and report on it. Now that the twelve months is up, they're saying, Yeah, we've done it, but it's, the information is too sensitive and we're not going to release the petition now. So people can write to their MPs and say, We want this petition uh, this review released. They can um if they go onto the Safeguarding Alliance um and look for the research, it's all there, what we've done, where we are now how they can help. Um, I think people just need to get into their heads what, what an issue this is and how long it's been going on. So, you know, Ian Huntley, mm-hmm. he changed his name to Ian Nixon to get the caretaker job at the school where he killed the Holly and Jessica. What he did then was reverted back to his original name once he'd got the job. And, it, and that led to the Bishard inquiry in 2004. So they've known about this since two thousand and four. That this was flagged up, the name change loophole in that report. So it's eighteen years later now, and it's still going on.
1: How was it writing your book? Trapped? How did it bring back a lot of emotion, or was it a release?
0: It was a release. It was one of the best therapies I've ever done.
1: What was the idea behind that? To
0: get it out there into the general public because people don't know.
1: So seeing you're writing that, how long did it take? Two years. Did you just came back and forth with it. Yeah. And who helped you with it?
0: So Linda Watson-Brown is my ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. She's actually from Scotland. She is she? Lives, yeah, she lives in Angus. She's mm-hmm. amazing.
1: So see, when you're going over that, though, there's that a lot of sleepless nights.
0: There is, but, you know, working with her, she's, work, she's worked with so many survivors. She mm-hmm. knows what she's doing on I was in safe hands. And even to this day, you know, she's helped me with a book. She's Her job's done now. She can sit back but she doesn't she's constantly behind me constantly pushing me
1: Mm -hmm. where can people buy the book
0: uh amazon asda waterstones
1: yeah we'll leave a link in the description for anybody that's maybe going through a struggle now but what advice would you have for them
0: to find someone that you can trust and talk to because the more and more you keep it in you're just hurting yourself
1: yeah how do you feel like coming on and telling your story and and repeating does it bring back a lot of emotion is it tiring or you just spoke about it quite often now, where you feel...
0: It's, uh yeah, it's tiring. And, you know, I have to take time out probably for a couple of days after. But you get back up and you do it again. And I'll do it again and I'll keep doing it until this law is changed.
1: How far do you think you're away from getting this law changed?
0: I think we're really close. I think once they release that report, the public will see how bad it is and they're, they're going to have to do something mm-hmm. about it.
1: Because I know you're... Was it Sarah? Sarah? Sarah Champion. Sarah, was that her that killed the paedophile? Who's it? Oh, Sarah Sands. Sarah Sands. Who's it? She killed the paedophile who yeah. abused three of her sons. Yeah. Stabbed them. She'd done, she got three and a half years and then they doubled her sentence. They did. You should be getting rewards for that. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't condone violence, I, I don't, no, but I, 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 I do condone that, that.
0: These people are never going to change. Yeah. That man had 24 convictions before
1: mm-hmm.
0: for child abuse and he changed his name.
1: She's done everybody yeah. a favour. But like,
0: That's what a son say.
1: But you, it's so hard because the, the, the sentences are so lenient. So they can a guy get caught with half a million worth of images and only get community service. But like how can you download yeah. so many images and just get a slap on the wrist? That like, I get six months in Berlin prison here for a driving offence. Yeah. So you know what I mean people get so less sentences and that's why they just keep recommitting. There's no there's no thing in place for them, to, for them to be scared off.
0: Well, there's not. And even if they did, and if they got a short sentence, come out, change them, start again anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you started coming forward and telling your story, how many other people then came forward to then tell their story?
0: So I've had a lot of people contact me. Um, oh, I'm not going to tell you their stories because that's their place mm-hmm. to say it. But people from... One man in Ireland came. He abused girls over there. Came over to Liverpool, changed the name, started abusing again. I've had families where their children have been murdered by people that have come out and changed their name. It's just, it's, it's endless. I, I could send you a list mm. of cases.
1: Where do you go here then for the future? Where how do you go forward? What's the plans?
0: The plan is to just keep on talking. Anyone that will have me, I'll go everywhere. Show it skills schools, so yeah, the other are you day all,
1: do you, Are you allowed in schools? Do schools let you tell those sort of stories?
0: They probably wouldn't, know. but, so, just two days ago I was at a university, talking to people that are training to be in the police, social services teachers
1: But they've got sex education and all that shit at school they've got some mad shit, you've got drag queens reading nursery stories that it is quite dark And but if you're a kid at school, six, seven years old, all the stuff that you have been through, you never knew what it was hmm. if somebody comes in and Maybe it tells it in a lighter way. Definitely, they need to help kids to then. Because if it's never happened to you, people don't realise this sort of stuff that goes on. It's because the amount of interviews I've done now, like over 300, I just know how that the world can be. And like I said, with that man who was a copper, I questioned it, why would you want to do that job? Part of me thinking, but why would you do that job? I've got kids and and it, but it, it, it made the sense when he says, look, man, when I'd done the first job, he says I'd saved a kid, so how can I walk away? How can I walk away and, yeah. and know what's going on? Because it's, they'd done it for yeah. 20 years. Wow. And he went through it, because his mental health's fucked. He had to watch the videos, he had to look at the images to pretend to be one to then build uh-huh. up a case to catch them. Had to be calm, had to but And he did say... His psychologist, like, what if I start enjoying us. Yeah. He was scared that that was a possibility because he was seeing it so much.
0: You would, wouldn't, you? I yeah. I mean, like when you've been through it, people say, oh, people that have been through it then can go on to be mm-hmm. sex abusers themselves. I don't buy that story. I think that's actual bullshit. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, because when I've had my kids, I'm more scared, like you say with that copper. Oh my God, what if I do that? You're terrified because it, as a survive myself I could never inflict that on somebody else mm-hmm. but yeah you do you do you worry about because they say you pedophile you know sex abuse people that have been abused can go on to abuse
1: see with your kids and stuff how protective do you become do you become overprotective or have you got to understand okay wait a minute like, that is 2022 where you try and give a bit of leeway like, how do you then try and mother your kids yeah does that become difficult
0: I probably have been overprotective I think my kids would probably say that but I've, I know that so I actively try not to be and so but you know like sleepovers and stuff like that they'll be at my house uh, yeah. bring all your mates to my house I can all come in. you won't go in
1: yeah well I'm, I'm actually interviewing a, a woman police officer from America there's actually a TikTok videos I've seen and she doesn't let her kids have sleepovers yeah. she doesn't know about the parents doesn't know who's coming in and out of the house so she works with uh, abused kids and the cameras that are in showers, the cameras that are in the rooms, it's so fucked up, man. So being overprotective, I believe, isn't really a a thing, especially in this day and age. You don't obviously want to suffocate them, but it can be difficult when you hear the stories and realise the extent of people go to try and groom kids. And Like I was saying, they don't just groom the kids, they groom the parents now to get to the kids. And some of these guys are in the park just to smell the kids' hair. They'll groom the single parents, go on dating apps, that terrifies out, me. Find out if they, it's a single parent. They go on uh, websites on like, Facebook to see our problem childs, to see what parents are struggling mm. with their kids. They'll build up like a case with that person first and they can clear it off them where they've then gotten in. Some of them take yeah. a year, two years to...
0: They will. They'll take the time mm-hmm. They'll, to get to where they want to get to. And you say about cameras and stuff. There was a teacher from my area that did exactly that, had cameras in the shower blocks and everything. Got convicted of that. He's moved up north somewhere, changed his name. Mm-hmm. There's another teacher, uh, Ben Lewis. So he got convicted for indecent images. He moved to Spain, became a moved to Spain, changed his name, became an au pair, worked in private schools. He's just got done for thirty six children over there. Well,
1: that's mad. not like to think like, what's actually going on. Like, how do you then? How do you then, if you're constantly working on it every day, constantly trying to change the laws, constantly hearing these stories that you can ever move on with your life, do you think you'll just constantly be working on this to then try and create changes and help other people that, because we know, for me it's sometimes out of sight, out of mind, we try and flip the chapter and move on, but with you, you'll constantly keep working on it, you've got the conviction that you so rightly deserve, but how do you then try and get some peace in your life?
0: So doing the book was amazing therapy. That's been great for me. But but it is a struggle and you you are battling and you are getting people talking to you all the time about awful things. Um, and I think I just have to... I've always been a fighter. I must have been because I wouldn't be here now if I wasn't. So... And what I have to do, though, do, so there's a a disconnect between Little Della and Big Della and I have to do that because... I'd i be so overwhelmed, I think my head would just fall off. So I'll do this now for Little Della and for all the kids out there that I know are suffering. And I just it's another fight and I've got to win it and I will win it. Also, I might get knocked back down, but I'll come back fighting. And I might have to take a month off or a week off, but I'll come back.
1: Do you still get therapy now? No. Do you think for people that's maybe in that struggle as well, because you've had therapy, how much does it help people? to try and release some sort of trauma that they've bottled up for many it years?
0: It does, it does, but it's really difficult on the NHS what they're offering, because it might be CBT, but when you've got PTSD and you've had trauma after trauma after trauma, CBT is only just going to scratch the surface, not deep enough. So ideally, I do need EMDR, but in my area, they don't offer it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, for coming on today and telling your story, it's brave of you for people watching the book was on Amazon, would you like to finish up on anything?
0: Um, Just like to say thank you for having me and uh, just keep watching everyone because we are going to win it. God bless you, man. <laughs> awesome. Take
1: care. Thank you. Thank you.